the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. We're here to support your company and your employees now and in the future. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. Later in the show, I'll be talking to the head of marketing at Nuri-based Statsports Technologies, which announced earlier this week external funding giving the company a value of £200 million sterling. This included backing from Premier League footballers Raheem Sterling of Manchester City and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain of Liverpool. Charlie Taylor of the Irish Times, who wrote the story, also joined me in the studio. Separately, Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times joined me in the studio to discuss the implications of pressure from public sector workers for pay increases. But first, Peter Hamilton joined me in the studio to run through some of the major business stories of the week. Peter, you're very welcome. Uh, where are we going to begin first? Dunn stores and pizza. Pizza, pizza, pizza. Yeah, it's looking for a slice of the pizza action. Oh, I uh, like it. I like it. Good, good. <laughs> to be done. Uh, so it's reported to have made an approach to base wood-fired pizza. I reported suppose. by the Irish Times. Reported I think by the Irish Times. Sorry, it should be said. Yes, by the Ar- Mark Paul and the Irish Times business desk. Uh, so we have... So he's, Mark's come across this information. Base, uh, it'll be familiar to mainly people in the south side of Dublin. Uh, it is it is one outlet in the north side, but six altogether. High-end pizzerias uh, owned by a former lawyer and uh, backers of the Loyola Pubs group. So it's... It, Fits in with Dunn's new strategy of bringing their stores up market, bringing them a more foodie experience to customers. Now, while no deal has yet been uh, agreed, it's, uh, you know, it, look, it's, it's a significant move for Dunn's and mm. uh, would definitely be significant for Base, which is a relatively small footprint uh, in, in Dublin. It does, yeah. Now, I've had uh, some base pizzas. Uh, they're nice, good ingredients, good quality ingredients and so forth, but expensive. But maybe that fits in with where Dunn's stores is going because anybody who's been to some of their redeveloped stores like Cornell's Court or uh, Rathmines, uh, St. Stephen's Green, etc., will know that they've been completely transformed and they're taking them up market. And they acquired the James Whelan Butchers. That's right. They've, they've got a partnership, I think, with Sheridan's. The, the Cheesemonger, cheesemonger. That's correct. They've uh, got the likes of Francis Brennan in to help uh, sort of Paul Costello to lift yeah. their fashion range. They, they started this a few years ago and, and they kind of Brennan and Costelloified their stores and that that started in the kind of the homeware section and mm. then followed the foodie stuff. Uh, and people will be people will remember that they previously tried to buy Avoca when it went up for sale uh, and more recently made a bid for mm. Donnybrook Fair and it was unsuccessful in that regard. Super value owner Musgrave uh, won out there. Uh, another one of the ones that, that it has managed to get is uh, the the Cafe Sol coffee shop chain. Uh, so it's interesting that they are making this shift. One would think that they could do the likes of pizza themselves, but obviously they see the value in these brands that have built up some equity with consumers. And Base is definitely one of those, I would think, in the, which has done so in the last number of years. Yeah, for sure. Okay, interesting. We'll see how that plays out. Now, uh, the EY Entrepreneur of the Year Awards uh, comes around uh, around this time every year. We get the shortlist and some interesting names on it this year. Yeah, absolutely. One of those, uh, speaking of food, actually, Pat McDonough, the founder of Supermax, he's amongst those nominated, as is Matt Ryan from the Press Up Group, uh, the Press Up mm. Hospitality Group. People will be familiar with their restaurants. Uh, they also have hotels. So now it's now in its 22nd year, the EY Awards, and it includes a, a raft of finalists from, from different industries uh, who employ almost 13,000 people on the island and, and generate annual revenues of almost 1.2 billion. It's a significant event. Uh, 
one of those, they have three categories, the emerging, the industry and the international category. One of those in the emerging, emerging category is John Mullins of Amarenko Solar. In the industry category, as I mentioned there, Matt Ryan from Pressa, Pat McDonough of Supermax and uh, Peter and Una Kearns from the Institute of Education. Again, a lot of people will be familiar with that. And in the international category, again, some big names like Richard Kennedy of Devonish and Andrew Day uh, of Keywords Studios. So, look, it, it, as I say, significant event and it, it uh, rolls around at this time of year every year. Last year's winners were Daniel McKay and Peter Coppinger of Teamwork, the uh, Cork mm, software And they, they'll be going to Monaco shortly, actually, to represent in Ireland June. in the world uh, EOI. Yeah, in June. So the winner yeah. of the Irish one goes to Monaco to represent the world. Last year it was Harry Hughes, rather, from Port West, uh, who went to Monaco. So this year it'll be the, the Cork software pair. So it'll be interesting to see how they get on. Team, teamwork is, you know, some of its competitors uh, include uh, Salesforce. So, you know, it's... it's Big player in its space. It's yeah. a big player. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, now, less good news. Uh, Datalex, mm-hmm. where shares uh, are being suspended from May 1st. Tell us why. Yeah, it's kind of bad to worse, really, at Datalex. So the, the travel software company said that it's going to miss its regulatory deadline to have its full year results published by the end of this month. So that means now that the, the full year report is unlikely to be published until the middle of June or may, perhaps the end of June. Uh, and, and so they've had to suspend their shares from, from May 1st. It follows a series of issues uh, and its stock has plummeted about 73% since January 15th when it first warned that it expected to post up to $4 million uh, earnings loss for 2018 and that previous results had been misstated. After that they brought in PwC to see what was going on and and it's worth saying that we understand that the, the company's recently appointed CFO, their chief financial officer who's appointed in December, he was the one who uncovered these problems. He's actually leaving the company now uh, having uncovered these issues uh, and having found found these problems out. So, uh, as I mentioned there, PwC last month then confirmed that, that, there, that there were issues and they found significant accounting irregularities. Uh, so, look, as I say, problems bad to worse, really, for Datalex. It's, it's not... World not of pain up, for yeah, shareholders. So it's in, in the travel software space and, um, you yeah. know, was a... Was I suppose was seemed to be doing quite well. At yeah, one stage. it was, and it was picking up big contracts like the one with Lufthansa, which uh, it had previously done work for Aer Lingus and successfully. So most recent one was with Lufthansa, and that looked to be where it ran into some difficulty, running over budget and missing key deadlines, and and then uh, issues kind of stemmed from there when when they when they uh, when. Some some things were classified wrong in the accounts. All right, a bit to go there on the Datalex story. We'll keep an eye on that on this podcast uh, in the weeks and months ahead. Peter, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Now, earlier this week, Nuri-based Stats Sports Technologies announced that it raised some external funding, giving the company a value of £200 million sterling. This included backing from Premier League footballers Raheem Sterling of Manchester City and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain of Liverpool. Uh, Charlie Taylor wrote the story and joins me in the studio while Ian Forrester, head of marketing at Statsports, is on the line from Nuri and I'll come to him in a few moments. Uh, Charlie, you might just uh, tell us a little bit about the background of Statsports. What is it they do? Sure, the company was founded about 10 years ago and what they have is a little device that's often worn in a vest and they measure and analyse player performance in real time to provide so it's, it's sort of data analytics for elite absolutely, athletes, absolutely, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Right, and uh, tell us a little bit about this uh, funding round that you were Yeah, well, they've raised, this is the first out outside funding round that they've uh, gained. And, you know, what's interesting is that they bought out a consumer version of the technology just last year. I mean, prior to that, it was it was the big names. It was the Ronaldo 
Legos, the Messies, etc., that were used in it. But the consumer version of the technology came out last year, and very much we're getting you know Raheem Sterling and Alex Oxay Chamberlain involved. They're not just you know obviously it's great for them to get the money as part of this, but the players are going to be global ambassadors. So I think we're looking at something like you know we've seen superstars like uh, LeBron James teeing up with. uh, Beats by Dr. Dre prior to its sale. He was a big ambassador, helped to drive sales hugely across the world for them. You know, I'm assuming, um, and Ian will tell us now, that the plan is that something similar will happen now with the likes of Raheem Sterling on board. Right. Ian, is that the plan? Yeah, pretty much so. Yeah. Obviously, to have someone, um, or both of them really, in terms of um, size and stature, we've got Raheem Sterling, who is undoubtedly going to be named Player of the Year. We've got Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, who plays for Liverpool, one of the biggest clubs in the world. He's been on the, on the record to recovery in the last 12 months. But these two are not only just coming in as kind of investors, like Charlie says, they're also going to be our global ambassadors. So in terms of front face and in terms of marketing, not only in Ireland, through the UK, through Europe, through North America, because we know that the Premier League resonates in that market. And they really give us that really, really huge, huge asset to sort of rest our educational process now for the consumer model. Now, I should remind listeners that Statsports won the Deal of the Year at the inaugural Irish Times Business Awards last May. And that was for a major contract you signed with the US Soccer Federation. But maybe you can give us a flavour for some of the contracts that you have worldwide with sporting bodies and with clubs, etc. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of the elite business, because obviously it's now broken down between the elites and the consumers, um, the elites, we really have got the best of the best um, in terms of in terms of soccer. We're looking at Man United, Arsenal, Man City, Spurs, Juventus, PSG. Also the federations, we've got the FAI, we've got the IFA, the English FA, the Brazilian FA, and the German FA. So these are the real, real top of the top of the class, really, in terms of soccer. In, in terms of soccer teams, and then in terms of rugby, again, a lot of the federations. We're looking at England, Ireland, South Africa, France, and then even as far afield as um, Australia, some of the Super 12 teams as well. Coupled that with a couple of other teams around the NFL, around the Gaelic, around field hockey, we kind of really are aiming ourselves at the highest level um, in that elite side of the business. So what kind of data analytics are you producing for these clubs and why is it important? Well, a little bit to what Charlie was saying earlier, really. We're sort of giving them a piece of technology that tracks GPS movements. Um, Not only the movements, but things like heart rates. And they give you a number of performance metrics back to the actual coaching staff. Things like distance, speed, number of speed, accelerations. So for this in the elite space, in in, in already a game of small margins, this is absolutely invaluable data that makes a difference in the build-up to the the actual match day, but also match day itself. You'll see a lot of our clients, the Man United and Liverpool, will wear it for training in terms of making sure that their athletes are at peak physical condition ready for match day. You've also got other sports as well at Rugby Union where the boys are actually wearing it on match day as well. Because we can give live reports on on that player's physical performance, decisions are being made in the game in terms of whether that player is too, too fatigued or he needs to do more within the actual physical attributes of his game. So this is how it's being used in, um, in those areas. In the, it wasn't one of your devices that Lee Keegan was throwing at uh, Dean Rock to try and put him off his kick uh, a couple of seasons ago in the All-Ireland football final, was it? It was indeed, yes, which we've got around our offices many, many places, so yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fortunately, I can say as a dub, he didn't succeed and Dean Rock got that uh, winning point, so Dublin go for the, uh, the drive for five is on. Now, Ian, how's, how did a small company in Newry come up with this technology and become a global player in this space? Um, well, it's obviously down to our founders, Alan Clark and Sean O'Connor, whereby I think 
as the story goes, they were just watching a game down at Dundalk FC and they were, they were sat there saying, wouldn't it be great if you could do X, Y and Z? And then between the both of them, they sat and realised, yes, you can do X, Y and Z. That became our GPS tracking and performance analysis. I think their first clients were Leinster. And then after that, Arsenal and Man United, I think, were second and third. So as soon as your first three clients are those, the world starts to listen. <laughs> and um, that was some years ago now. And then even even now in the elite sports games, there's teams that still don't use this technology. But obviously, every day there's more and more teams using it. Obviously, all the teams in the Premier League will use it. But going down to lower tiers, not everybody uses it. But everybody's now sort of taking, taking notes to sort of um, make sure that this information is, is, is there for them. No, Charlie, how much did the company raise in this external funding round? So the company hasn't said the exact figures, but it's believed to be in or around 20 million. Um, the, the players, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain and Raheem Sterling, they both put in about a million apiece and there were other investors as well. All in all, the, the valuation now brings them up to about 200 million. Okay, is that sterling or euro? In sterling. In sterling, right. Ian, can you tell us how you're going to uh, use that funding going forward and, and what are the growth plans for the company? Because there has been speculation about an IPO. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in terms of what that money is going to be used for, we're, we're sort of we're at a tipping point really with the consumer model whereby the, the size of the market that's there is absolutely huge. I mean, there are 265 million registered soccer players around the world. In terms of this product, in terms of performance analysis for the actual consumer, we are FIFA approved. We are World Rugby approved, which means we're not going against the likes of Fitbit or Garmin because you can't wear their products on pitch. Yes, there are a couple of other competitors, but we are the complete global leader at it. So in terms of what we've sort of found we've got, we've almost got a free run at basically everybody who plays team sports. So that as an opportunity is, is, is massive. So we've got a big, big story to tell. We've got a huge, huge job to do on our hands in terms of an education piece, because again, for the consumers, we need to tell them what this thing is and what the benefits are. Um, at the elite at the elite level, those guys have the top sports sciences to obviously interpret the data and turn it into actionable actions. Um, but but for us, it really is the sky's the limit. We're sort of with that budget from a marketing standpoint, put our message out there across the UK and Ireland, across Europe, across North America and down um, as far as Australia and New Zealand, basically following where our elite clients are. Now, how much is your consumer product? It's not cheap. No, it's not cheap. I think at the moment it's currently um, 234.99 in euros. Um, it isn't cheap, but if you compare that to what you call top-tier football boots or top-tier soccer boots, it's actually quite reasonable because this is a piece of kit that will live with you for, for, for your at least sort of five to ten year lifetime, really. This isn't a pair of boots that you grow out of within a year. This is something that's going to track your data, give yourself your stats over that time period. And if you're, if you're a young player trying to burst onto the scene, it gives you that invaluable data. If you're an older person like me who just wants to know how to get on a Wednesday night, it, it does the same job. Right, okay. Not cheap. Um, uh, having said that, I used to be a soccer referee, amateur football, um, uh, some years ago, uh, and I would suggest that most of the uh, most of the players that I was uh, refereeing they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't spend two hundred and thirty five euro on on a piece of kit like that. But anyway, as you say, for young and up and coming players, and maybe for people of a certain age, uh, it's bound to have an attraction. So, what about further down the road in terms of uh, let's say an exit or in terms of um, taking some money off the table, if you like? Uh, what about an IPO or, or the possibility for a trade sale? Because if the sky is the limit then surely a lot of the big technology players around the world have noticed this and you must be on the radar. Um, yeah, I think you just said it there, really. It's in terms of it's kind of nice growing pains to have, really. Um, we've got an elite business that's doing very, very well. It is the world leader and continuing to grow. And we're just about to really enter the 
consumer market, which gives us a huge playing field and pardon the pun to sort of go after. It's as simple as that. So with that and our technology being one of one of the few in the world that can do this, of course, we're going to have people sniffing around us. And we expect that as well. Um, but it's all part of this upward curve that we're currently on, basically. And are you growing in terms of staff numbers? Absolutely, yeah. Um, there was a piece of Invest in I last year. I think we're currently at 90. I think that was going to grow up to, uh, I think, 230 within inside three years. Um, I've only been with the company a little over six months, and it's already grown within that. Um, so, yeah, we really are tooling up, not just in Newry as well. Offices based in Chicago, offices based down in Sydney. We're setting ourselves up to be a real global player. Okay, any chance you might come south of the border, take a take a, an office in Dublin or somewhere else? Um, probably, no doubt, yes. Uh, um, I know we originally founded in, ourselves in Dundalk and then moved up the road towards Newry. Um, no doubt um, there will be a Dublin office imminently as well. Right, okay. And finally, just in terms of data analytics, it's obviously exploding across uh, a number of sectors on a number of fronts and in many different ways and so forth. What's the next big thing in data analytics that we should be looking out for? In terms of the consumer or in terms of elite sales? Well, either or both. Yeah, both. Well, it's, it's, it's more in a world where for the last 10 years, everyone keeps telling us in business that data is king, data is king. This really is what, what, what we're all about in terms of when we founded back um, in the late 2000s, we, we have all this data and it's, it's a case of what we can then do with this data as well. So in terms of, if you think about well-being and general wellness, obviously we, we've got a part to play in that as well. Um, so whilst we're sort of focusing very much on sort of team players, et cetera, you'll see what other big boys do in terms of education systems, universities and colleges, in terms of the general wellness of the population. So you'd have thought the data that we are able to track will, will only have that greater halo effect. Okay. And what about GDPR? Does that put the brakes on your business in any way? These new European no, no. rules uh, around data no, privacy? No. No, no, not at all. In terms of the elite space, obviously, it all sits with the, with the actual elite clubs. In terms of the consumers, obviously, it would, it would be done through a third party, whether that be a, an educational authority or a local council, et cetera, et cetera. But it's not as though we're just sharing data. It would be, it would be, it would be a partnership, and the people opting in would obviously be well aware of that. Okay, final word to you, Charlie. Where do you see the company going in the next few years? Well, you know, as uh, Ian sort of hinting there, the sky's the limit, really. I mean, you know, there are competitors in the space. There's Catapult, which is an Australian company, which is pretty big and is also kind of, you know, would be sort of the key rival, I guess, in this space. But I think particularly with moving into the consumer space gives uh, Statsports an awful lot of firepower and I expect to see them doing extremely well. All right, guys, we'll leave there. Uh, My thanks to Charlie Taylor and Ian Forrester. Okay, we're going to take a short break now. Uh, When we return, I'll be talking to Cliff Taylor about the pressure being placed by public sector unions on the government to end the two-tier pay structure. Back in a few moments. Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015. Welcome back to this Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. You can subscribe to this podcast for free in iTunes and it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcast. Now, it's conference season for many public sector unions and pressure is beginning to mount on the government to loosen the purse strings and bring an end to two-tier structures on pay. With me in studio to discuss this is Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times. Uh, first of all, Cliff, what are the public sector unions arguing for? It's to equalise the position of people employed since 2011 
with mm. colleagues who were there for a longer period. Now, you may remember the government has had a couple of goes at this already. Uh, there was one agreement in 2016, which re- restored some allowances yeah. on some pay scales. And then there was a significant deal done last year, 2018, uh, between the public sector unions and the government, which uh, is going to last right out till 2026. It's basically a strategy to get people who are on lower scales up onto higher up onto higher scales uh, by skipping out two points of the ladder. So in other words, most public sector employees are on are on a ladder, for example, in the, in the case of teachers. On a scale. On a scale. And they're going to skip a couple of points of that scale. They also have to get there before they, mm. before they can make the skip, if you like, which from the exchequer's point of view spreads out the cost a bit. Uh, the total cost is around 200 million, so it's significant. A year? Yeah, it's significant. Uh, when fully implemented in 2026 so the cost will be about 75 million by the end of the current pay deal and then over the years after that and this is over and above pay increases that will be agreed um, with the public sector unions anyway yeah and increments which public sector uh, employees get as well annual annual increments can we afford this well we, we can afford this much uh, although it does add to the already increasing pay bill but what's happening now is the unions are coming back and saying look what was agreed last year doesn't completely equalise the position of all the uh, public sector employees. In in some cases, they'll still be starting at a lower rate uh, than uh, their more established colleagues will have. Yeah. In the case of teachers, for example, they, they still won't qualify for some allowances. And they're saying, look, this job has to be finished. And interestingly, uh, just before the conference, the teachers conference started, there was kind of this Delphic statement agreed between the public sector or the teachers unions and uh, the government to say that these these things would be considered uh, either through a special process or through a uh, or, or through the or through the next pay deal so having i guess just signed off on the previous agreement last year the government is now giving in a little bit more um none of these things on their own cost a, a huge amount I guess the issue is that when you add them all together, they start to add up to very significant amounts of money. So, for example, in a piece of work the Parliamentary Budget Office did last year, it said, look, take the latest pay deal and take the amounts being paid to public servants uh, to equalise pay. The the deal that was done last year, the 200 million, you have 1.1 billion extra on public sector pay uh, before you even head into the next pay deal. So the pressures are really mounting. And the public sector unions, clearly, with a general election coming up, smell blood. Uh, yeah, it's opportunism, put, isn't it? Sam? It is. Well, look, that's that's what unions. That's why people pay their fees to you to, to trade unions, you know. Uh, and 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 they now see a chance. And this uh, is is this the teachers having watched what the the nurses did recently, going on strike, and they said, well, you know, they got a bit of traction yeah, out of that. There's no doubt that the nurses' deal was was very significant. I think in industrial relations terms. Uh, and there's no doubt the other public sector unions were watching on. We'll see the other uh, union meetings over the next couple of weeks. But yes, in the case of teachers, a very aggressive stance, not only looking for uh, further further moves to restoration for new employees, but also sending out a very clear signal uh, about general increases heading into the next pay round. Uh, rather remarkably, the head of the INTO saying that re- they've received no increases since over the last decade when you know clearly they have. The unions would argue that's that's been pay restoration, uh, but in reality, it's it's an extra well, burden on the public sector. In the public sector who haven't had pay restoration, they lost their jobs. Uh, firstly, which the private sector, yeah, absolutely. In the private sector, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, 
they yeah. haven't had pay restoration. They haven't had pay restoration. Uh, and this presumably adds to the pension bill as well, the public sector pension bill, which is like a ticking time bomb for the state. It is. Uh, interestingly, uh, the teachers' unions opened up another front uh, in the in in their conferences this week, so so you could say there's th- there's three things they've signaled they're looking for. One is moves to pay restoration for new employees. Number two, general pay increases as part of the next pay round. And number three, I think for the first time, signals that they would look for changes to the new pension arrangements introduced for people who joined since 2013. So in other words, everybody agreed, with the exception of the public sector employees themselves perhaps, that the pre, the old public sector pension scheme was completely unaffordable. It was restructured uh, so the people who joined after 2013 have a slightly different deal. Their pension is based on their average salary rather than their finishing salary, for example. Uh, and, and after they retire, that pension increases based on the consumer price index rather than what's happening with public sector wages. So a little less generous, but still... Still very generous I was about to, to say, private sector, com- most private sector workers. Compared to what's on offer in the private sector, still still really generous and, and, and a huge perk. Some data from the CSO this week suggesting that only, I think it was 56% of, of workers have uh, have a pension, excluding the Absolutely. state pension. Absolutely. So, rather surprised that the public sector unions would, would go there. I expect that the Department of Public Enterprise and Reform and uh, the government would resist that particular part of their demand pretty strongly. Uh, maybe it's a card they're putting on the table, expecting it to be refused, looking for concessions elsewhere. I don't know. Uh, but certainly... Um, to go back and reopen that pension deal uh, would be would be a huge decision by the government, and one I really don't expect they'll take. What's, but Pas- clearly what's, what's Pascal done? Who's saying today? Well, he wrote a, an article in this newspaper uh, earlier this week, um, pointing out that um, public sector workers have a good deal, and uh, that by the end of next year, for most of them, pay will be restored to the level it was before the crash. Uh, and, and in fact, in terms of increments, a lot of them will be will be ahead of where they were before the crash uh, by the end of next year, uh, that they've job security and that they have good pensions and that, you know, pay demands have to be based on reality. Uh, in the context of that, perhaps a little surprising to see the government give way so easily on the, on the issue of, uh, of um, the newer employees and, and, you know, making further concessions. Having done a deal only last year when they said, look, this is as far as we can go. Uh, we've laid out a pathway, if you like, where most people's pay will be more or less in in line with their colleagues. But now they're mm. uh, now they're signalling they're giving a bit more. So I think we can we can perhaps say there is there is an election on the way. Yeah, sure. At some uh, stage, a lot of people will find this galling that teachers are effectively holding the con- country to ransom when you know the secondary teachers have three months off in the summer. They have two yes. weeks off. They're currently off. Holding yeah. their conferences while while they're off, two weeks off for Christmas, uh, etc. Great holidays, yeah, great perks. They do. Uh, it's 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 not a bad job. Um, we've also the unions and, and and teachers of the conferences, you know, saying that they're under pressure because of cutbacks in spending post post crisis, if you like. Uh, some of the teachers in smaller schools saying, you know, they're chasing they're chasing mice out of their classrooms and uh, doing DIY jobs and all that. Uh, but nonetheless. Yeah, teaching teaching is a good is a good job. Uh, pay levels here compare well internationally in in, in teaching. Uh, we would be moving towards the top of the tree, not right at the top of the tree internationally, but moving towards the top of the tree. So teachers here are not underpaid. I guess if you look at younger teachers, um, they face the same problem as younger workers in all sectors of the economy. 
uh, that it's impossible for them to to afford to afford housing in some cases, particularly in the bigger cities. Um, maybe that's a housing problem rather than a pay problem, but nonetheless, uh, yeah. it is what it is. Starting salaries for teachers also heading towards thirty eight thousand by the end of next year. Compare well with other sectors of the economy; they, they, they'd be right up there. And, and a study by the HEA showed that uh, that's uh, above the average industrial wage, surely. Probably around the average industrial wage, yeah. But that is the starting salary when you add in the allowances and 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 yeah. various uh, various other things. Does sound too shabby. Where, no, where, it's not. Where, where does it go from here, Cliff? Interesting, I think, to watch the uh, the mood music on this one now in the next while. Um, certainly, in terms of the teachers, we have Joe McHugh, the Minister for Education, coming to the conferences and making emollient noises, while his predecessors were were booed and hissed, and uh, faced a very frosty reception uh, during the crisis. Uh, he's he's been greeted reasonably in a reasonably friendly fashion. Uh, he said he realizes that there are issues that still have to be addressed. The Department of Public Expenditure and Reform taking a, a frostier attitude to the whole thing, though it appears everyone did sign up to this statement. So we, we have to watch how that one goes. Uh, scope for trouble and rouse there, I think, and also scope for trouble and rouse elsewhere in the public service. And we'll see there the, the, the other unions now over the next few weeks and what they have to say. But as you say, I think the nurses' deal has uh, has raised the hair a bit. It has pointed the way for the It has pointed the way. Unions, think, uh, you, know. you have the uh, current pay deal, which runs out towards the end of next year. So there's inevitably a bit of shuffling and manoeuvring ahead of the end of that. And then a feeling that at some stage over the next uh, year, 18 months, we're heading towards a general election. And so the unions will happily play off one set of politicians against the other and get the, the biggest promises they can about what's going to happen in the next in the next pay agreement. All right, well, we'll see how it plays out. No doubt we'll have you on on future podcasts, uh, Cliff, to uh, discuss that in further detail. But that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Peter Hamilton, Charlie Taylor, Ian Forrester and Cliff Taylor. Jennifer Ryan produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. And remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.